Hello, everybody. Welcome to On the Left, where we discuss what it's like to be a human being and on the left in this somewhat batshit, crazy, weird, Alice in Wonderland nightmare country of ours. So with me today is the lovely and wonderful Rachel. And can I say your last name? Go ahead. Reeves. Oh, oh. so... Um, Rachel, I'll let you introduce yourself. Most likely no one can do it better. Who are you? What do you quote unquote do? Even though, you know, if you don't want to talk about your job, you don't need to because fuck it. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. okay. Um, let's see. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the middle of interviews for a management position right now. So my job is definitely like, on my mind. Um, I, mm, I met Robin through, um, through a history PhD program. Um, I think, I think it would, it might be more, more accurate to say that I met Robin through union connections within the, the history PhD program, because I think that there were paths I could have taken that would not have put me in touch with Robin and that would have been that would have made all the difference indeed mm -hmm. yeah I actually do remember the very first time we met incidentally I think I've mentioned it to you before I don't think you remember but it was like a kind of um meet and greet coffee date thing that I think Ed had set up to welcome you to the program. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Does that sound like a huge yes, at the time? Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, I, I, I remember you very distinctly. Um, you were wearing a scarf. <laughs> the, the academic woman scarf. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't know if you remember this, but we also both TA'd for 4B together. Ah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yes. I actually yes. had forgotten about that for a long time, and I remembered it a couple of weeks ago. And I remember we didn't talk much and we didn't get to know each other very well when we did that. But I remember that one day I was sitting there reading Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian. And you're like, what are you reading? And I showed you and you're like, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I think that made her maybe a little uncomfortable. But she was cool about it. So that's cool. And, uh, but yeah, we didn't get to know each other very well into many years later. So enough about you and me, baby. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think my recovery from Christian fundamentalism will be a relevant part of this story. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, how would you summarize your politics right now? Right now. Yeah, a kind of like a preview to which you will later get to unpacking. Okay. Tantalize us, Rachel. Tantalize us. <laughs> uh, okay, I think I think I would I would describe myself as a socialist in that I feel most comfortable among people who identify themselves as socialist, and I've been thinking about labels a lot recently because um, I am 
uh, I'm not eight and a half months pregnant and really thinking a lot about how does one, how does one inform someone else's, uh, uh, view of the world, um, from very, very young. Right. Um, you know, just reflect and reflecting on the profound, um, influence of my own upbringing on my current, uh, you know, my current way of being in the world. Um, and so thinking about like how, what is the shorthand for the things that I want to expose this kid to, you know? And so I'm like, okay, socialist, I'm going to hang on to that. Um, and that really, for me, I think, um, is, is captured in the pithy little, you know, meme of, um, you know, what, how do I explain to someone that you need to take care of other people? Yeah. You know, how, how, how can I explain it to you that you need to care about the well-being of other people? Like it, it, it's a, it's a belief system built around a pretty fundamental assumption of responsibility for each other. And I, I love that and I want to cling to that and I want to make more of that. <laughs> Shit. When you figure that out, could you like explain it to my dad? That would be great. Cause he won't. No, it. I, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that I think that whoever put it out there, seriously, it's like a concept it, that's I, hard for people to grasp. I think it was supposed to be funny when somebody first said it. They, you know, they were like, it was like a zinger. You know, like I don't know how to teach you how to be a good person. Um, <laughs> but but it it actually is like a question that I carry around with me. Yep. That I I I sound super righteous now but it's like it is it is a question that I have about like how 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 to um yeah absolutely um what was I gonna say oh yeah why you were talking about that um for our viewers if you could have seen my face I was kind of increasingly looking stressed out and horrified because this is one of the reasons I'm not going to have children because I don't want to be responsible (laughs) for this, right? It's such a terrifying responsibility and job not to freak you all out. You'll be fine. Rachel, Rachel will be fine. She's amazing. But I, I would be much more heavy handed because I would like, you know, on the moment's notice of deviation, I'd be like, stop being a little fascist, you little bitch. <laughs> it would just not go down good. So it's a very serious question. You don't sound righteous. It's something one should think about. Mm-hmm. And I and I think, you know, I think um, when I consider, you know, when I consider like what is what is important, you know, what is what what are what is fundamental? Um you know, it, it is, it is that they have exposure to my friends. And I think that a common thread among them is, is, um, socialism. And I, and I think that that's a way of, a way of being with each other, but I think it's also a way of looking at the world, a kind of critical, um, engagement, active engagement with the world, uh, that I, that I think is, I don't know, kind of like the only satisfying 
way to be in the world as well to kind of look for the look for the structures right also I mean obviously I agree but my experience has been that apparently other people are satisfied without doing that which I find confusing because then I feel like you would just be like what the fuck is going on how the fuck is like who am I where do I fit into the larger picture of existence like what does this mean what and you would just be really fucking confused all the time but whatever okay um we're deviating when did you first remember having thoughts and opinions on, you know, what I lately really feel like is too trivial of a word, but there is simply no other politics? Yes. So I remember watching a presidential debate between Bill Clinton and the first George Bush. Um, and I, I remember, so this, I think was around the time my folks were getting divorced. So I have kind of in my mind, um, watching these debates at my mom's house and then also watching these debates at my dad's house and, um, asking my dad, you know, what's, so what are, what are you going to choose? I might've been in second grade around this time. And he, um, he said, oh, uh, George, George Bush, because he was already president at the time. Yeah. Mm. And I'm, and I'm recalling that he, um, my dad's explanation was better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't know. And I found that really disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) I I just reason, dad. (laughs) I just, just, I, I remember, um, so I think I would identify as an idealist also. Oh, like why, 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 uh, why, why the devil you, why is the devil you know better than the devil you don't Explain, know? Father. Unpack yes. this claim. Explain. And I, and I would say that, you know, um, the, the dynamic between my folks is that my dad has been the most engaged on like a local political level, but he's also the most cynical um, and my mom is deeply sincere and deeply ideological. And I think, I think I navigate between those two poles, th- those, those two, um, yeah, kind of political engagement styles. Like I, on, on the one hand, I feel like, and, and this is like, um, daughter of a, of a, a giant uh property owning white man attitude but it's like I feel like I deserve to see the budget (laughs) I feel like I deserve to be in the room when decisions are being made you know on on a like local political level or like um you know he's a he's a pain in church board meetings Mm -hmm. and he has zero shame about asking um asking questions and demanding uh, transparency and he uses the he uses the rhetoric of stewardship you know that it's this money the money that we're spending belongs to the people who gave it we have an obligation we have a um burden of trust and and um let's let's see where it's going you know, it's funny, I can definitely kind of see that reflected in you because I have noticed that if anybody is sending us texts on our, our group friend text, 
about local policies, stuff happening in our area, it's a good chance it's you. <laughs> like you pay, <laughs> you pay much better attention than I do to, to local politics, right? And I definitely admire that because I'm getting better at it lately, particularly because the politics in my area are often infringing on really big issues important to me, like mm -hmm. not attacking and humiliating homeless people, for example, or people without homes. Um, but generally speaking, I'm really bored by local politics, right? Because I have a sort of epic mindset and it's just not satisfying to see the budget. I'm like, whatever. So I, <laughs> I take, I've always noticed that and admired that about you. You, you have a a seriousness and a patience and yeah you bring to it a sense of responsibility and stewardship uh when you when you engage with politics because you don't just get angry about you know stuff that will be on uh last week tonight um i i think you know i think that my my political journey is um i've needed to become much more comfortable with anger mm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, th I think, you know, I think I, I do, uh, I do look for ways in which, in, in which to, in which to get like concrete traction because I'm afraid of just the, the frustration and anger that, that right, you know, rightly come when things are broken and unfair and we continue to be told that it's perfect and the best possible and always fair yep. and exactly what you deserve. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, this, this summer was a real, um, Oh, a real, uh, confrontation for me, um, of that part of myself that struggles between the difference between being nice and being good. Mm. Yeah. Because I think, I think as a, um, you know, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist and I think as a, as a fundamentalist woman in particular, um, fundamentalist white woman, maybe, uh, especially like I, I learned to be nice mm -hmm. and I learned to be, um, reasonable and that, you know, that can be like really, that can be really violent, um, yeah, reasonable in scare quotes, right? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And 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 I mean reasonable in the sense of like I sound reasonable. Right, absolutely. When when I speak, I sound reasonable. Right, to other people who are kind of mainstream evaluators or or policing mainstream political discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Reasonable to them. Reasonable yes. to the Aaron Sorkins of the world. Civil. May they all rot in hell. Um, <laughs> I, I'm on a West Wing thing kick right now, so I just really like Katie and Aaron Sorkin. It's it's good fun. So I, yeah, I yes, I I also I need to uh, I need to confess that um, Jenna turned me on to the West Wing thing, and it has been really satisfying and really chewy. Um, chewy, yeah. It, yeah. I, because it, I think it, it, it makes me confront things about my own political 
style. Um, and, and I, you know, I would say that the West Wing thing, or, or not the West Wing thing, the West Wing, the TV show mm-hmm. was actually a big part of my, um, a big part of my political story, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that, you know, in that I loved the competence porn, you know, like I, I, lo- I loved that it, it sold itself as um, a lot of really smart people it turns out there were really just harvard educated people which is not the same thing (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you josh and dave for pointing that out um uh you know but but the idea that um and the idea that if you put together a strong enough argument then you win and you're safe yes it's so it's so intoxicating it's it's like kind of the primary lie that's that even for me it's still incredibly hard to shake right um yeah it's it's kind of one of the one of the big lies of of liberalism writ large i think like mm-hmm. since the enlightenment fucking liberalism right mm-hmm. okay so let's get back to you sitting there telling your dad that his reason isn't good enough i love that because <laughs> when i was that age and i was asking dad literally about the exact same thing bush and clinton you know he's told me something about how uh you can't trust clinton and i was like i think you're right i don't like him so uh rachel you're awesome so <laughs> i i might amazing. have been more into that answer. That's amazing. so so um when you first kind of can have what we would say, uh, you know, coherent, I'm not necessarily saying totally coherent, but, you know, recognizably coherent in modern discourse, political outlook. How old were you and what was that outlook? Mm. Hmm. Uh, I think another important point along my like political identity building journey um, is that I worked in the restaurant industry for um, a long time, all through high school and undergrad. Um, And there was a day, um, there was a day that I, I, in my head, I'm remembering it as day without a Mexican, but I'm pretty sure that it was day without an immigrant and it's that my bosses referred to it as day without a Mexican or else the, the people that I was working with in the restaurant were more often from Mexico. And so that maybe that might've been the way that they, they referred to it. But I recall my, um, my boss who was the business owner and highly celebrated as being one of the very first women business owners in this town. Um, made a lot of enemies, including the health inspector. Um, I, lo- I just love local politics because they can be so petty. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, so, so anyway, she had been, you know, she had been in my mind really built up as kind of uh, this, this local hero. Um, and she liked me because I'm nice and I care way too much about my job. Mm. Nope, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that. Anyways, she threatened to fire anyone who participated in day without a day without an immigrant, mm-hmm. and I heard her threaten my coworkers. Um, it 
it didn't occur to me at the time that it was a strike and that I myself should not go to work in their place. Wasn't there yet. But I was there to witness and and experience as profoundly wrong um, her threatening their jobs. Um, and I, I think that that's... That, that feeling... That feeling is something that I've come back to. Um, that f- that feeling of solidarity. I guess that's what it was. Absolutely. Um, and I, and I think you know I think at the at the moment what I was some something that was important early on, and I and I think I this is something I got from my mom was was that you being a good coworker is really important. Mm. You know, being being well liked by your boss, I think that's pretty. It was to me pretty self evident that that was the way to go. Um, you know, if I if I wanted, yeah, our culture just, successfully communicates. I'm, just, that. I'm, just, I'm also just afraid of authority figures, and I struggle with that, and I'm working on it. Um, but or you know, I just I'm so I'm just so hungry for prestige and approval. Um, anyways, I fight it. Um, but you know, kind of balancing that is this sense of obligation to the other to the people who are part of my closed work system that if I don't get something done, someone else has to do it and a and a sense that 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 matters right, right. you know and i and I can't be satisfied doing the very least if and getting away with it. If it means that my coworkers have to work harder, right? Um, and I think that this was this was a sensibility that I recognized in the grad student union. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it was my first encounter with a union that I could have joined, my um, my grandparents were were part of unions, but um, I don't think my parents ever were. Mm-hmm. So, when you're working in the restaurant industry and you're having this increasingly conscious recognition of solidarity and what it is and what it means and how it can manifest in things like unions. This is a long-winded way of asking how old are you at this time? Oh, um, I think the day without an immigrant, I might have been late high school. Late high school, okay. So um, then you, if it's all right, if I move forward? Yes. Yes. Then you go to undergrad. And what is the story there? (laughs) All right. Undergrad, I took a literary theory class and I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, I had so much fun reading sacred texts. Um, I guess small s sacred, uh, part of the canon. And and looking at um, you know patterns of like what what were the what were the lessons they were teaching, mm-hmm. um, and that was where I first encountered Marxism was through a literary theory class because we I don't know we kind of skipped over it in history classes somehow. <laughs> that <laughs> and so, that's egregious. That's no good. Uh, yes, no. Um, you got you know, it and that. I got it somewhere. I absolutely, yes, I did. Uh, and it was literary theory. 
And, um, I, you know, I think, I think that the English department, maybe also the psychology department were the two most progressive departments in my, um, Seventh-day Adventist undergrad college, um, little college, less than a thousand students. Um, and I think that in another, in another universe, I would call it critical theory. What we were put in touch with was critical theory and we could try it out with these texts. Sure. But the implication was that we really should be living it. You know, we really should be trying it on for ourselves nice. and seeing, you know, what, oh, uh, what stories are you hearing in your life? Right. Um, yeah. So I, that's like exactly what education is supposed to fucking do. I love it when things work. See, and I, I had tried it on with philosophy. I'd, I'd taken a little bit of philosophy and I, I hated it. I really had a hard time with it. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, I definitely enjoy a good amount of philosophy. On the other hand, I often struggle with like, why the fuck do I care? If, if like you come at some of the classical philosophy, you know, particularly if you start in like Greece and Rome, first off, I, 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 I have, I have a serious bias and prejudice and uh, scoring for Greece and Rome I'm dealing with right now. <laughs> Just <laughs> fucking hate. What's Talking that about, about Robin? Aristotle and Plato? I'm just so fucking sick of it. Um, yeah, let's not go into what that's about. That that's a that's a rabbit hole. Um, but also some of the questions they're asking. You know, like yeah, it's kind of a fun mind fuck to think about how like if you have two points and you move halfway in between those two points, and then you move halfway again. Technically, you'll never get to point B because you'll always be halfway into point A and B in eternity so it's a paradox but then i'm like oh, yeah i don't really fucking care so i could see how literary theory though can it actually gets gets at a lot of similar questions that philosophy sometimes gets at but like in a way that is connected to reality <laughs> that is recognizable mm -hmm. well and i i like that it it really um it was really presented to me as a toolbox that I could carry with me anywhere mm. and I could carry it with me into my Bible studies and I could carry it with me into my, um, you know, into my history classes, which I did. And my history teachers hated it. <laughs> it the history department was pretty oh, conservative. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. On, my, is, on my campus. It's a seven day Adventist college. So, so I mean, uh, like, like, uh, you know, white guys in flannel with, monosyllabic names um you know that's that was it <laughs> monosyllabic names wait like ted john or ted paul ted john. paul <laughs> paul dr paul uh, and dr paul does not like marxism All right no so i'd actually kind of like to use what you just said as a segue that you said you could carry this into bible study so, spoiler alert, everybody, she does. So how did that <laughs> work out? Tell me about that. That process of, like, looking at your faith in this new light or prism or whatever the fuck, lens. That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So I think I would describe that experience as enlightenment. You know what? I've I've already put myself forward as uh, the righteous dude. This is the so no shame enlightened. podcast. Uh, why I'm making this. So the other leftists can listen to this and be like, "Oh God, I'm not the only one." Okay, it was so embarrassing. Well, but it was it was it was a profoundly liberating experience to to encounter with other people to encounter with my friends the con- the idea of um nothing sacred mm. dare to know mm. ask the question who is telling this story if for a moment we can imagine that it isn't god himself yeah let's yes, just put on the not divinely inspired glasses just for a moment to see what happens let's let's just let's just try it let's try let's play with it um who could be writing it? What stories are getting told? Um, what lessons are being taught? And also, are there other lessons available? Can we read it in a different direction and get something? Can, can we make it? Uh, can, can, we, can we tell other stories? Um, and it turns out that yes, there's actually quite a lot that has been done with the Bible that isn't uh, endorsed by the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Um, <laughs> kidding. A lot, <laughs> for, for instance, you know uh, the the widespread uh, and popular uh, practice of worshiping on Sunday, um, just as an example of interpretations that um, are are available within the scriptures. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think also, so it was, it was intoxicating to, to approach the Bible as literature and to really appreciate the art of it. Mm. Um, I love, I loved, I came to really love the poetry mm-hmm. in, in parts of it. And that was part of my secularization. Yeah, Um, it's kind of, it's interesting, that's deeply ironic that part of your secularization involved appreciating the Bible in a way you never did before. Like coming to love it in a way you didn't before. Um, That's funny, just because I remember uh, back in undergrad when I I ran with the agnostic atheist crowd. (laughs) Um there was a Christian who gave a presentation on her story of faith and how she came to faith. And it really impressed her, this, this Christian youth group leader kind of guy that she met, how much he loved the Bible, that he just loved it. And that just really struck her as like something that moved her to explore the faith further. And it's just kind of awesome to me that you're an example of how, you can love religious texts and religious literature and belief is not necessary to that mm-hmm. appreciation, you know? And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that I, I continue to love about the Hebrew and Christian Bible 
um, is is that it's a it's a collection of um, stories that we have in common, mm. you know, or stories that a lot of people have in common. Yep. And things that you can come back to, and um, they're t- they're touchstones that re- reverberate so profoundly and so deeply, right? Yes. Granted, not all of them, because you know, uh, somebody like Iran, um, listening audience, he's my husband, he's Jewish, secular Jewish, to this day does not understand what the deal is with sacrifice. <laughs> So he's like, why are Christians so into sacrifice? And why were pagans so into sacrifice? What the fuck is everyone obsessed with sacrifice for? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's hard for me to explain. It's just compelling. And he's like, you're all insane. But um, nonetheless. I think it's, I think it's great storytelling. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a hero narrative. And oh my, okay, whatever. Um. It's my job to keep us on track, even though I would love to sit here and unpack with you why the fuck people find the Jesus story compelling. Actually, what would be really fun is to bring Iran in here and for him to just watch him shrug and be like, I still don't get it because there's something very satisfying about that to me. You know, like I've always found the Jesus story very compelling, even though I've never been a believer in a, in a, in a, in a sense that probably any other Christian would recognize. You know, when I was young, I was like, Jesus was divine. Buddha was divine. Everybody's divine. But I, I was never like a believing Christian, right? I never like believed in mm-hmm. heaven and hell and all that. But I always found the story very compelling. And in fact, when I was an undergrad, I realized just how much I found it compelling, even though I was just as secular as I ever would be. And in fact, would soon become even more so. But anyways, what I'm getting at is when I see Iran just kind of be like, no, I don't get it. There's something about that difference that is so sad. That's so compelling and satisfying to me, right? Like as much as I, I like, as you said, having these groups of stories that people can find compelling along with me. And most of those stories for me fall outside of Christianity, but that experience is very compelling. I also love that experience of someone just being like, no, I don't get it. <laughs> There's something, I don't know. There's something about that difference. It's like so, you know, I, this is actually the first time I've really tried to, I'm thinking out loud to put my finger on it. So I'm just going to go on before I blabber and look. Mm-hmm. So then you go to graduate school. <laughs> what happened? Oh, <laughs> okay. Yes. I was a snob. My first couple years oh, in honey, graduate don't school. Don't worry, I got you matched on that times ten. I promise. <laughs> I I was so insecure and so full of myself at the same time. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, they often do come together. You know, I, I think I I think I heard somebody describe um, graduate students as baby rat like that baby rattlesnakes. <laughs> it's like. It's like they cannot control their venom and therefore they are the most deadly. Mm. Like like pathetic and kind of flaccid, oh, no. but also very venomous. Oh, God, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's really accurate. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, accurate for, that was accurate for me. You know, it's funny. Um, I didn't necessarily want to say this before because I didn't want to go off into that. But I rem- actually remember, I think the re- one of the reasons I remember – the first time I met you that like you really stood out in my mind is because I remember just kind of like watching you, like listening to other people talk and thinking, this girl looks fucking terrified. <laughs> she seems 
really stressed out right now. <laughs> probably right. I, I probably was. Yeah. I don't think I have a good poker face. <laughs> yeah, no, well, you do and you don't. You do and you don't. Because you, have, you don't necessarily have a good poker face, but that's just because you stop and think so hard about whatever you're thinking about. <laughs> I, I mean, my first my first couple of years of graduate school, I remember saying a lot how grateful I was to be there, you know, or how how lucky I felt to be there. And I think that that you know that's coming from um, a family of people who didn't necessarily um, go to under you know go to college. Uh, or you know, I remember my 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 dad really crying. Um, you know, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, yeah, that's uh, it was a, it was a big moment for him and he was really proud. Um, he was really proud of it and, and acknowledged the work. Um, and, you know, felt that it said very good things about my character. Um, <laughs> so, so you can imagine what getting into a PhD program said about my character. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm still, uh, I'm still getting over that. Um, but my second year in graduate school, I was part of the orientation committee, some, something, or um, recruitment committee for the visitation day for people who are considering joining our graduate program. Um, they'd been admitted. They were being courted to, to join us. And I was like, well, I can make a great case for us. Um, and this was the year that someone who came to be a great friend, um, decided to throw a party uh, to welcome um, the potential recruits. And <laughs> she, uh, she advertised it um, at one of our very serious, very um, professional uh, orientation events um, as, you know, as a, a fun time and you know that she was going to organize a keg and you know was that Brenda? it was it, it was Brenda it was Brenda, <laughs> totally and I, Brenda. And I was, it was it was in my mind a giant problem I was like wait what no what this is not this is not part of the carefully cultivated um <laughs> Picture oh my of my graduate program. If Brenda um, could hear this now, she would be <laughs> fucking cracking up. Uh, She'd be and, cracking up. You know, I I didn't say anything um, until afterwards. I was reflecting with one of the faculty members about like I I hope that didn't scare anybody off. I'm not really sure why it would have been scary. Um. But, uh, and, and the, the faculty members said, you know, maybe, maybe we are a little bit of a party department and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I, you know, I think that, um, I mentioned that because in spite of that snobbery, you know, in, in spite, in spite of that, like very careful effort to blend in. 
Um, and, and specifically to blend in with the people that I thought were going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, when I encountered the people who were active in the union, um, you know, I, again, the people who were good coworkers, who were good colleagues, um, good comrades, good comrades. I wasn't ready for that language. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember another friend of ours during the during the Occupy movement um, using the phrase "off with their heads." <laughs> And um, bring the guillotine. Yes, and I was I was genuinely frightened. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, that's adorable. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not actually sure what snapped or what what happened, except the <laughs> the, the this the sweet friendship that I was offered in spite of myself (laughs) (laughs) um you know because I I think that it was it was there was a point in my education in grad school where things really fell apart between me and my advisor Mm -hmm. and the faculty response to um, what was an abusive situation um, was we were all wondering how long you would hang on. <laughs> Fuck me, man. And that was such a, that was so cold. Fuck that was you. So, you know, after all, after, so fucked up. after all I had done to represent the department. Um, so, so, so I think, you know, I think that was a pretty profound moment in my disillusionment. Yep. But, um, you know, but I also, I was surrounded by people who, graduate students, um, who even though they didn't know me, or even though, you know, we, we weren't, I wasn't at this point going to their parties. Um, that happened. Thank heaven. But, um, you know, people who would say, I'm sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. That's And it wasn't fair. And it wasn't it right. Wasn't, it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. And it wasn't anything about your capacity right. as, uh, as, a, as a thinker or a researcher. And also... Um, by saying that and not saying like, oh, yeah, we were wondering how long you're going to last. What that statement also implies is that this is somehow part of the course of being an academic, right? That this kind of ab- abusive relationship is just, you know, it's just what the price one pays. That's not mm-hmm. being a good coworker, so to speak, right? That's not being a good colleague if you think that oh, it'll be fun to see how long Rachel lasts with this person. Like, WTF? What are you... Why why didn't you intervene? Why is this person still having graduate students if those actual thoughts are going through your head? And, and you know, I was was surrounded by colleagues slash comrades who were open to having a conversation about and recalling me back to my... Uh, structural Marxist theory 
that it, you know, that says, okay, the material conditions of this relationship make it ripe for abuse. Right. Absolutely. This story is possible 100%. because of the material conditions surrounding it. Yep. The, the fact that, you know, the fact that your funding is linked to one person yep. um, or your funding is linked to arbitrary decisions within a department um, means that you you face pressure to shape yourself to the whims of one person, yeah. not the structures of a discipline, not the standards right. of, of a field, right. um, because those are never articulated. Yeah, this is not peer review going on here. <laughs> no, it is not. It's not. It's, um, yeah, and, it, and it's not okay. It's, it's, it's a, it's little feudalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's little fe- I mean, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, Aran often points out how in many ways the Academy is like, has these weird feudal medieval qualities that despite all of its protestations to the contrary, and despite the fact that conservatives thinks it's going to turn us into a bunch of little trots, <sighs> if only. Um, <laughs> God, right? <laughs> ever watch Fox News and be like, God, I wish this shit was true. <laughs> if only they knew how the far fuck Obama is from a socialist. My head is gonna fucking explode. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> what was I saying? I'm in fine form tonight. <laughs> sorry about that. I did my my. Order of a burger didn't cut. It came late. And because I'm an idiot, for some reason, this really upset me because I'm a child and I've experienced no hardship in my life, apparently. And so now I'm in caustic mood. So I'm going in a caustic <laughs> direction. Um, lizard brain. What can I say? Okay. So, yeah, that and I remember that experience. By then, we were definitely uh, friends. And I also just wanted to touch on something you said about how, you know, you kind of said, in in spite of myself, you're offered this friendship. What's so funny is that I understand what you mean, but let's go back to that story. I want to go back to the story real quick of that first day I met you. You seemed really stressed out (laughs) and slightly terrified, but you also seemed extremely thoughtful, like thoughtful and and serious in the sense that you were fucking thinking everything through and that that might have given you a fucking headache because your brow was kind of like this the whole time but (laughs) it was clear you were like trying really hard and I think that's I think we saw that uh, we as in you know the family um Mm -hmm. in the graduate program and people involved in the union that's a quality about you that's immediately recognizable, right? Like, so yeah, this girl comes from young woman, excuse me, even though back then we were probably still thinking girl because I've only recently perched that from my vocabulary. This this woman is, you know, from a different background than me and she's from a religious background, which some of us could, you know, could struggle relating to. Um, so she probably has different sensibilities than me. Also, she's always dressed very appropriately. But, um, <laughs> my collar is my armor. Yeah. <laughs> but there is the, she's she's thinking and she's open and she's fucking doing the work. And by which I don't mean the graduate work. I mean the fucking like work of being a human being. So I think that's something that really shines through. So in spite of yourself, it's also because of yourself, <laughs> of course. 
Thank you, Robin. My uh, my second advisor um, was excellent. <laughs> said, uh, you know, said that I was one of the one of the twice born, um, and I don't I don't understand what that what that means. I think it's a <laughs> it might be like a Henry James reference, and it's it's it it she was using it in the sense of like you are probably a little too sincere. Um, which which resonates with my reaction to my dad's flippancy about politics. That's yeah, I think um, that's horrible fucking advice, man. Don't be don't be so sincere. Nah, man. Um, be sincere yeah. till the end. And you know what's so funny? Again, this this is kind of occurring to me on the fly. You and I have very different affects, right? Like if if somebody met you mm-hmm. and then they met me, you know, they we probably wouldn't remind up on a first impression we wouldn't remind anybody of each other but i think that we're both very sincere it's just you're sincere while speaking appropriately and i'm sincere while i'm yelling at people and cursing <laughs> you know it's just it's just a surface style that sounds <laughs> Right to me. Because I feel like to me. Yeah. I, I started to realize as we became better and better friends is that I was like, wow, Rachel really seems to get me and appreciate me. Like, even though she's effectually so different from me, it's when I'm at my most defensive and my most raging and angry and just letting it fucking go that it seems like she's looking at me and nodding, you know? Um, so I really felt like you saw me and you got me on this level that, again, a superficial meet and greet with you would, would, wouldn't have predicted. So it's just so, it's so funny, right? There's, there's room for all sorts of affects in this. For the, for the <laughs> listening audience. I'm nodding vigorously. Nodding vigorously, yes. Okay. So yeah, that I could definitely understand being a really formative experience that recognition of like oh yeah the structure in academia is also totally fucked let's return to structural marxism and what i've learned um about that in my own life um is there anywhere else or other directions you want to take this story i mean i know we talked a little bit about how this intersects with your spiritual life is there a story there you would like to unpack or is it not uh do you think necessary a headliner oh um I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this story justice, but I feel like it's important. Yeah, go for it. Um, So I didn't realize how very, uh, I didn't realize how very important, I'm going to start again. So I think that my socialism is fundamentally secular and I don't think I've ever put it that way before, but um, something else that happened to me in graduate school was I met someone um, whom I immediately sensed was the the safest, most, um, I think I just felt profoundly safe Mm. with this person and felt myself to be in the presence of someone who was who was kind and good on a on a level that I didn't necessarily recognize in myself um and uh this I I and 
I ended up marrying him. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, I was afraid he got run yes. over by a train or something. At the end of the <laughs> no, he did. Um, he he had he had at this point in the story um, lost his mom. Yeah. Um. She had she had died a, a year previous, and I I asked him one day. I asked him, you know, do you do you ever think um you know do you ever think she is proud of you? You know, she's looking down and and proud of proud of you. Um, and he said, no, I think she's dead. Oh, yeah. uh, and, that's, and, that's a brilliant, like, gut punch of truth. Woo! <laughs> I wasn't ready for that because I had, and I asked him, um, and I asked him, how are you, a, forgive me, Robin, how are you a good person if you don't believe in heaven and, uh, and an ultimately, you know, an, an ultimate like punishment or reward, uh, for, for the way that you've behaved in this life. And he's like, I, I don't know. I've never worried about it. I just <laughs> try to be good. I just try to be good to people. Yeah. And I, you know, and I was, and this, this, this was around the time that I was, um, you know, encountering, uh, this was around this was at the end of the year that uh i had um led the uh the orientation to to graduates school you know to the 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 potential recruits so you're just um, getting your mind blown left and right i i i was i was <laughs> i was and and so um a lot of a lot of different things kind of came together um affection for a particular set of stories and, and scriptures and, and such um, together, you know, together with a in, inability to get behind the divinity of Jesus um, and also an inability to fake it, um, you know, led, led me to think, okay, what do I, I wanted organized religion in my life. I really, I really felt like it was, it was going to be a framework um, to help me on my journey to be a better person. Um, it was, it was just part of my, part of my makeup. Yeah, part of your DNA. Um, part of, part of my DNA. It's, um, you know, I, I felt when it was missing and I went about filling that hole um, with, uh, liberal, liberal Judaism was actually what it, what it ended up being. And I was really, uh, helped and motivated by the idea that it's not necessarily our business. What happens in the afterlife, what our business is, uh, is here and now and material comfort and material suffering matter right now uh and it's not something that can be put off and it's not something that we can uh intellectualize too much or, or kind of theorize away as part of um the great controversy or or whatever that it is now right. it's immediate um it's it's immediate and I'm still not sure I'm I'm able to uh imagine no afterlife. Sure. 
Uh, I think that's, I think that concept is just pretty deep in there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know what? That's like, I think something that, okay, obviously this is something that people probably all across spectrums, but I, I, I only, I only know it on a personal level from being on the left. Something that people on the left often um, encounter and not that this is afterlife or no is necessarily a, a political issue that could, that has to cut this way or that way. But what is very common is this experience of this thing, this need, this desire, this assumption, this sort of superstition framework. And I, and I don't mean superstition badly. I'm just kind of rambling for words here is so integral a part of how I was raised, who I am anyways, maybe regardless of how I was raised, whatever, all that fucking shit that makes up who you are, that the idea is not to eliminate it as it's something bad or wrong, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But to work with it. And there's also just a lot of of stuff that's idiosyncratic and and particular to, to people. I remember talking to someone once that he said, I don't think anybody can really sincerely conceptualize their death, like their own consciousness not existing, like not in afterlife or Mm -hmm. anything, which is something I totally agreed with then and now in the sense that when I do try to conceptualize it, I want to hide under the rug and it's fucking horrifying. Yet I think about death all the time, all the time. Um, And I do my best to face the reality of it as I understand it all the time. But I understand I'm never going to be at a point, like I guess some people are. I've talked to a lot of atheists. So I guess there's genuinely people out there that are like, yeah, it's just going to be like before I was born and my consciousness just won't exist. What? No big deal. Uh, That's painless. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's the worst possible fucking thing ever. But but it's it's <laughs> but that's but that's just the way they are. But also you are like there are certain things that are just like they're not. You're not supposed to eliminate them. You're just supposed to fucking like engage with them and fa- and struggle with them as honestly as you mm-hmm. can. That's all you can do. Yes, and my and my struggle with my own mortality and the mortality of everyone else means that there is a there is a time limit on on my ability to you know, affect, affect good, you know, like, like I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get a second chance. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, neither are people who are suffering either. Right. Like it's, it's not, it's not, um, oh, uh, maybe their reward is in heaven. I hope their reward is in heaven. Be nice. But I can't count on that. You know, I, it's, it's, I can't lean on that. Um, And I think that people who do lean on that, you know, as a, as a way to dismiss um, our responsibility to each other uh, in this life are profoundly cynical Mm. and, and deeply evil and it's, it's interesting i'm gonna kind of draw a comparison or a connection that i've i've never quite consciously stumbled on before so hopefully it's articulated enough but i think there's kind of this parallel between there's a secular version and a religious version of, of what you're talking about 
And in in the religious version, I remember the same Christian I mentioned earlier. <laughs> she liked to come to all of our meetings, our our agnostic and atheist meetings, because her brother was an atheist, yeah. so she was trying to figure out how to save his ass. <laughs> It was really fucking weird. Anyways, uh, she was like one of those super nice, super nice Christians who was like, I love my gay friends. And that doesn't contradict at all with me thinking they're going to hell. And I'm like, mm, yes, it does, honey. Uh, but anyways. Um, I, I really hope that if somebody genuinely felt that I was going to hell, that they would come in after. Right. You know, right? that they would not. They would not sleep. Right. They would not leave me alone. Yes. If it's actually what you believe. Right. Right. Come after Right. Me. Okay. So I, I already knew that you would understand this. And this is actually not even where I meant to go. But whenever I have these conversations with other people about like, I can't be friends with someone who doesn't know whether or not I'm going to, like, is ambiguous or undecided about whether or not I'm going to hell or even thinks I can't be friends with that person. They're like, really? And I'm like, of course, oh, fucking not. <laughs> like how that's like what they want something for nothing. They want to be my friend, but they're like, I, I genuinely had someone you and I both know, you know, uh -huh. when she told me she was a Christian, I'm like, okay, my main question is, do you think I'm going to hell? And she just very politely said, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, Whoa, bitch! That was the wrong answer. <laughs> and it's so like the, it's like the cosmic, so the cosmic up. torture forever I version know. of this of this graduate chair being oh, like, no, no, no. I don't know. We were just gonna kind of watch and see how long you hung on. You know, we we're just kind of interested. How often the the sort of evangelicals or Christians that want to want to think that they're still nice, you know, that what they'll say, well, we don't. It's, it's not necessarily hellfire and flame, but it's distance from God. Yeah, eternal distance from God. That's such a fucking improvement over like Dante's seven, whatever. Okay. Okay, sorry. For the, what for I'm the just first... saying is that there is, there's that version uh, all, where I asked her once, like, well, what about all the people before Jesus? Like, they were just doomed because, you know, they didn't come in time for the salvation. She's like, yeah, I don't know. But there's this like religious version where Jesus comes and saves everyone afterwards and somehow everything that came before was just the narrative and the stuff, the groundwork that needed to be laid to, to where we get to savior Jesus. And, but there's a secular version of this too, where all of the fucking people who suffered and died during the early 20th and 19th century under fucking horrific labor conditions, all the people who are suffering and dying under fucking horrific labor conditions right now, right? All of the people sentenced to a lifetime of assault and rape and brutality under slavery. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. That these were all just kind of like stepping stones to, you know, what we today in white America enjoy. It just makes me want to blow my brains out. I mean, you realize that every mm. single fucking one of those people were as human as you are, were as complex as you are had dreams like you do, suffered like you do. But there's this attitude of like, well, you know, the cost of progress is high. We just had to subject the entire industrial working class to hell for hundreds of years so that we can have penicillin. Wow. There's, yeah. I think there's a connection yes. there. Yes, I think so. I um, Do you remember uh, maybe from 4B or maybe from another class we took together? It was um, the idea of Whig history. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 idea the idea that history, man. history is is one glorious march towards um you know towards towards a future or towards um 
a, a more just future towards towards progress. And uh, it makes, I think it could make one complacent. <laughs> no, it most definitely could. I think it has, I think it has uh, I mean, uh, con- contributed to a lot of... Um, this is something that I catch myself. Yeah, complacency. Even, uh, like, this is one of those deep, you know, programming things that I, I probably will never can eliminate. So I just have to recognize and deal honestly with is even I catch myself thinking along these lines where, like, you know, I'm reading about all the all the peasants you know, in the fucking, you know, 13th century or whatever that, you know, suffered horribly and, and had no rights. And you slip too much into thinking like, yeah, but, you know, peasants in the 13th century weren't really aware of anything left or right. And they didn't know anything. They didn't know any better. And they just accepted all the dogma from the church. And then you've, you, I mean, I don't literally... It's not that these words run through my head. I catch that bias, that prejudice, that assumption. You know, I, I detect its presence. And then you read about the fact that, and by the way, your fucking liberal education, if you even if you do go to grad school, will likely not teach you this. I had to find it out myself. That people have been articulating resistance to injustice in terms that we are completely fucking recognizable to us for fucking ever. That's something I really mm-hmm. hate about mm-hmm. historicism. Like mm-hmm. that takes too far. Is it literally denies? Like, oh, we can't really talk about you know the 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 peasants that rose up in rebellion af- after Luther started the Protestant Reformation. We can't talk about that as like in any context, in any way. Like you know, this is recognizably uh, has anything to do with modern movements for equality and social justice because meh, 16th century Europe has nothing to do with 20th century America, and it's a fucking lie. That's a fucking lie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People are fucking people and they've always been people and nobody's life at any time in history was worth less than ours today. I don't know. And I, and I think, you know, I think that the, um, the idea that, you know, oh, there's a time and place for everything. And it just wasn't the time and place for rights. (laughs) Um, you know, it like we were time and they, place for they, human. Those, those, it turned. You know, those peasants weren't actually ready. Yeah, no, exactly. They weren't actually. Right? They weren't actually ready for the priesthood of all believers. Right. They didn't understand its subtlety. Right, but they. But um, it's which, funny. Which, 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 which is not actually equality. It's not actually. They didn't um, understand its subtleties. Is that Luther was a fucking hypocritic asshole, hypocritical asshole. So fuck he, that he, guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. That guy. Yeah, I re- really it's like it's like he had a profound moment of psychological relief and just didn't think it through. <laughs> That's so and, true. Oh my god, and, he did and, not think it through. And then Calvin thought it through. And then Lift and then Calvin like, thought it through. Luther's like, whoa, bro, I didn't mean that. But Calvin's actually ten times more consistent than Luther. <laughs> Right, and Calvin ah. understood how very scary it is. Yes, he did. How very, how, very, how like revolutionary. Right. Oh my the, god. The you know the the you know the idea of of the the priesthood of all believers totally. is and 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 wrote reams trying to shut it down. He's like, okay, let me tell you how it doesn't actually mean that because because people understood that that's what it meant. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Calvin pones Luther. I say it all the time in terms of internal consistency, <laughs> right? I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying yeah. I prefer Calvinism over Lutherism because Calvinism is fucking batshit. Just like 
cruelty, basically. It's like it's like a sadomasochism, basically. <laughs> but uh, but it is more consistent internally. Okay, so <laughs> we've, which, we've, which is- we've wandered a lot, but I actually feel like that's just really appropriate because I think that, like, um, yeah, by drawing you out on some of these things, it's also illustrating very clearly why you ended up on the left. Um, I, you know, and, yeah. and I, I, I don't, you know, I don't think that, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that Calvin's consistency redeems him. Oh, no, either. it doesn't redeem You know, him. like, it's, it's just, not, it's uh, not the, the elegance, um, yeah. of his, of his, uh, 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 oh, yeah, no, structural I mean, understanding. Like, if, if fascism was coherent, it wouldn't make it any better, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't mean to suggest that. I just kind of like to throw it in Luther's face, like, um, you know, there was a reason why, yeah, clearly you didn't think this through. There's a reason why you, you, you know, peasants revolted because that's sort of implied in some of your, anyways. Uh, um, but I, I do, I do. Um, I think that the, this idea that it's like, there is a right time. There is an appropriate time for democracy is, uh, you know, has like shaped a lot of, um, pretty awful current policy decisions. Absolutely. I mean, read letter from a Birmingham jail, right? Martin Luther King, like it, he just lays it straight out there. Remind me. Oh, he just, he, it's, it's famous because he kind of says that uh, he is starting to think that uh, like the, the white liberal is as much of an opponent and maybe the more serious one than the white, you know, racist, somebody who is overtly racist because it's the liberals mm-hmm. that come to him and say, hey, we're on your side, but not right now. And you're moving too fast. Right, 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 right. I think, you know, I think the the study of history, like it really lends itself to telling people to wait. Uh-huh. And it's so hilarious because a lot of the most lasting impacts were were, were sudden and 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 totally caught people off guard. I mean, the French Revolution, I think, is an excellent example of that, right? Like, nobody fucking saw that coming. And mm-hmm. yeah, you get Napoleon and blah, 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 but you also get basically the birth of the modern world and you never go back to the ancient regime, which, you know, actually is a pretty big accomplishment. All right, Rachel. <laughs> actually. Actually. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love I love the um, the Ursula Le Guin quote about um, about capitalism that is you know it's like we couldn't and I've I've seen it in the context of like the um, the the modern royal British family right now which is um, <laughs> so, 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 something else a, a conversation yeah, for yeah, another yeah. day but um, you know but she she said like. Uh, Life without life with you know, um, there was a point when we didn't, we couldn't imagine a world without the divine right of Kings, yeah. but here we are. Yep. And you know, it might be hard to imagine, you know, just because we haven't done a, a world without capitalism right now, you know, just because we don't have like a model going forward doesn't mean doesn't mean it's not possible. Totally. I also really hate it when liberals and conservatives ask you, like, well, how is this going to work? And I'm like, dude, nobody ever – fucking change never happened like that. Like, when the fucking French Revolution happened, when the – you know, when fucking anything happened, it's not like they had this blueprint. Like, they fucking just were like, okay, we have everything figured out. No, you just fucking figure it out as you go along. Anyways, um, Rachel, what is the best thing 
about being on the left and the worst thing about being on the left? Last two questions. Mm. Okay. Gosh, for some reason in my head, I had, I had the two reversed. Um, the best thing, the best thing, I don't feel like I need to turn off my mind. Mm. Um, you know, I, or, or I, I feel like I can, I, I feel like it's, it's a, it's a place from which I can be critical and dissatisfied. Awesome. Um, while, while also, um, you know, while also feeling some sense of maybe hope, I think more likely direction, like some sense of like, okay, where, where do I take this? Right. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe an ethical guiding light anchor mm-hmm. something like yeah, that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. An anchor makes a lot of sense, especially since the world is one big fucking storm right now. Um what's the worst? Oh um right now I feel like the the worst is that I'm just struggling to find an angle with which to talk to my family. Yeah about it and and I think I I think that there's there's um patina or or there's a there's a um like a cultural resonance of of um leftism um, and I'm, I'm doing the little, the little, um, scare quotes. Air, air quotes, scare, scare quote, literally scare quotes. Um, there's, there's something really scary, um, about leftism yep. for, for my family, for my folks. And, which is, uh, completely comprehensible. Like, can, I'll never forget watching the, you know, quote unquote insurrection, <laughs> Which I feel is just like kind of a inappropriately grandiose term, but whatever. On January the sixth, this year, yeah, okay. And um, anyways, and when watching people like you know break the windows of the Capitol building, and uh, <laughs> like the liberals on CNN being like, "Look at this! Look at these anarchists!" And I'm like, "Hey." <laughs> these aren't fucking anarchists. These are fascists. Get your terms straight, right? But like. To Americans in general, like anarchists and the left, it's just like the guillotine, twenty-four hours a day. <laughs> you know? Well, or and and you know, and socialist is obviously straight out of the USSR, which is which is one hundred percent Stalin. Um, and and I I think I I think I just have a um, I don't know. I don't know what what how to approach the you know the conversation with um, with with my family. You know, beyond you know when something inappropriate happens or is said, I need to say something, and that's um, oh gosh. Now that I now that I think about it, I think it's like the burden of accountability. Mm. 
is a real uh, is a real bummer uh, yeah. to to me to me. You know the the you know this you know I've said I've said so much about you know how oh this is the one life we have. This is the one life other people have. You know I I need to say something now before you know before there's no time to say it, um, and yet it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of love to get in there over and over again. You know, like, like the person who believes you're, who actually believes you're going to hell. I am the person who, I am the person who believes that you're already in hell. (laughs) I I, I guess. And, and that there are actions that we can take to get out. Right. And that there are actions we can take to get other people other people out or alleviate the hellishness. Um, you know, I, I, and I think that in, in local politics, that just feels so much more concrete Mm. to me, or like I see, it feels, I see that it could be better. It could, it could be better. And it, and it has been, it has been better. Um, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good pitch for local politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Really. Last question. Uh, do you have a recommendation for anybody who might be listening to us? Which you know is most likely just our friends. But uh, let's just fantasize that it's somebody else. Um, you know, favorite uh, or or not necessarily favorite, but a TV show, a book, or a podcast that you've been listening to that you just think would be right up our alley. Oh. I don't know how up uh, up any anybody's alley. It's a feminist podcast. Um, All right, sounds good. <laughs> so uh, my so alley, there, there, baby. Sorry, what's uh, it called for? <laughs> there are um, there are two podcasts by a, um, a Canadian academic, Hannah McGregor. Um, that I really, I really appreciate and, and get a lot out of. And, um, the, the first one I'll mention is secret feminist agenda, um, in, in which she, uh, in which she brings in a lot of, um, people to, people to talk about, um, structures of the patriarchy and where that shows up in the academy and where is it where it shows up in um our 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 lived existence um i think she she has really um turned me on to a lot of to a lot of the um the connections between like the wellness industry and um and eugenics um and and white supremacy and uh you know has has also exposed me to um disability disability rights um movements as as they relate to uh, you know as as they relate to to other intersectional right pursuits right. of pursuits of justice that this this isn't this isn't a society that this is a society that was built for a particular subject and that subject is white able-bodied welk uh wealthy um dude and what's yes. the name of that one again so that one is secret feminist agenda 
And I got there through Oh Witch Please. Um, I'm pretty sure Jenna recommended this one to that me. Sounds, it sounds this cool. is the so this is a um, this is a critical reading of the Harry Potter series, <laughs> uh, which is so, kind of needed right now. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so so if you're interested in the death of the author, uh, <laughs> <laughs> figuratively, is, not is, literally. We're not calling. Which is wait, I'm not. I'm not. J.K. Rowling. We're not threatening the life of J.K. Rowling. I'm speaking in terms of like we don't care about authorial intent. Um, <laughs> Turfs are people too. <laughs> um, I mean, but but this the, it it is it is an an effort to grapple with the fact that this is a book that this is a series of books that means a lot to that means a lot to a lot of people you know that 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 is that is for many people a a kind of um coming home or a touchstone that's what i was gonna say yeah yeah and you know and it and it was for um you know it was for brenda yeah and i really I really got into the harry potter series as a way to mourn the loss of one of my friends Um, who was more leftist and, and, uh, active and, um, had a, a bigger impact on the world than I think that, that I aspire to reflect and echo, um, in, in whatever way that I can. Uh, and so it's, it's like, I have, I have this, this personal relationship with, this story of finding a group of people who are actually like you and finding this magical world in which um, things make more sense and you, and you belong. Um, And it's a, it's a, a tour of various uh, literary critical um, approaches to, to this uh, this canon text, so uh, let me ask the Harry Potter series. This, like, uh, if you listened to the West Wing thing, you could totally listen to that podcast. Having never seen the West Wing, incidentally, I have seen all seven seasons before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could totally listen to it and and derive all sorts of benefits from it without having ever watched the West Wing. Um, actually, you know, it's probably better that way because then you never have to watch the West Wing. <coughs> I've never read Harry Potter. Could I? Is it something you can listen to if you've never read Harry Potter? Yes. Cool. Yes, I think so. <coughs> um, I, you know, I. You all right? I'm good. I, I'm vaccinated. Okay. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. I know, right? It's pretty fucking awesome. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. I think. I. Th- I think so. Um, you know. I think you. You understand. Um, you know. It, it would. It would be just like reading a. Um, reading an article that uses a source text that you haven't read before, which I do all the time. Um, or I did all the time. Um, yeah. At one point. Well, that, that actually sounds like maybe, uh, something I'll explore once I'm done with the West wing thing. Um, because I kind of, I have this tendency to go through podcasts one at a time a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. because I actually do want to have some, awareness beyond the films of, of, of the Harry Potter universe for precisely all the reasons you lied out, laid out. And I think this would be a, a way that I would find really familiar and engaging and loads of fun. So thank you for that. And, and one, one plug that I, w- I will, I will give, or one thing that I really appreciate about the, um, the way that this podcast is run 
is that uh, these hosts do what they can to be accountable to their um, constituents or, you know, accountable to their community. So they take uh, a, a lot of feedback it, and they take, a, they take the a, feedback. In the they take a lot of feedback and, um, and they, you know, like for instance, they've, they've worked really hard um, even, you know, even before the, the revelations of um, JK Rowling's turf dumb. Turf dumb. Um, uh, it's not so much cooler you know, than to, it is. <laughs> to, 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 to take to receive to receive and welcome feedback about transphobia in their language, right. you know, in in the way that they're talking about the texts, right. um, and and I think that being open to that kind of accountability is a practice that I really admire, and I um, I've witnessed among my friends, you know, including. You know, including I think chiefly, maybe first of all, I've I've watched you take feedback, Robin, um, <laughs> from 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 people and and not be um, not be broken by it. You know, I think I think I have a real like shame reflex when I get something wrong, and and that can get in the way. Of, oh, I do too. I just hide it really of, well of, of my of my you know responding. Um, sure, sure. With, grat- with gratitude for the for the effort and risk that it takes. For someone to for someone to call me in. Yeah, although I, I gotta say this, this this we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, one last comment on why you're awesome before we uh, call it call it a call it a podcast. Um, you were talking earlier about how you learned how to be nice, right? Which uh-huh. which is definitely you know something that I can say you succeeded at. Um, <laughs> which is why when you managed to piss you off, it's like so fucking awesome and hilarious like i really i literally only have like three stories like times <laughs> one time iran pissed you off one time i pissed you off and then one time was on the hike <laughs> the six mile the hike. hike and we were just relating it the other day to uh should, jenna and logan and like when we were describing how fucking pissed off you are and everybody was just like laughing because it's so amazing when you're pissed off like I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like just so it's like you get this it's this feeling of like if this person is ticked at me, I've really crossed some sort of fucking line. <laughs> and I need to back the fuck up and think about what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be such a I'm gonna be such a great parent. You are, you're gonna be great. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> nail it, Rachel. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. It's like been totally fucking awesome. I love you very much. And any last thoughts? I'm so touched by this project, Robin. I'm so, I, I love, um, I love the chance to talk about uh, growth and learning because I think, I think, I think it takes a, it really takes like um, the, a, willingness to uh admit that there was a point when maybe you felt something different oh yeah or maybe 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 i maybe i learned something along the way oh man and um i mean i right now i run um i run research training programs for people who already have uh faculty careers and and it's it's hard it's hard uh to learn something if you won't admit that there are gaps in in you know your understanding of the world or, or space to to grow um yeah and i think i do 
actually just okay i swear i'm gonna shut up after this but i'm glad you said that but i think one of the things i noticed that was sort of missing in the leftosphere is you know people always talk about like oh leftists are so righteous or they think they're so right and they're never wrong and and you know, everybody else is immoral and, and i'm like that no, that doesn't sound like anything like the leftists I know, because the leftists I know are all like the most self-critical, sincerely trying to fucking do better, recognizing that they're not kind of people. And we all have embarrassing skeletons in our closet that, you know, from our unwoke times. And I think it does us a lot better to fucking bring those out of the closet and be like, look, it's not about being this fucking, you know, most woke person in the room it's about just fucking trying to not suck <laughs> yeah 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 and I, that's it and, just try not to suck yes yes and it's and i think i think it's um you know thank you thank you west wing thing right yes. like it doesn't matter if it's coherent and elegant right the impact matters the ultimate impact is what absolutely matters. intent and intent is not is almost nothing compared to ultimate impact for sure all right. Uh, well, thank you again. And you've been listening to On the Left. And I.